that as we approach your word, uh, that you would open our hearts to receive what you're saying to us. And God, make us not just faithful hearers, but faithful doers of the word as well. And God, I pray that uh, your spirit would do in us what only your spirit can do in making us more like Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, so you can get there in your Bibles. Um, and I just have a quick announcement before we read the scripture passage. We are going to read a lot of scripture today, um, a whole chapter, but I'm going to be pulling out just one theme mainly. There's a lot of things I could say about 2 Timothy 2 that I'm not going to be able to say today, um, but I'm hoping that we can uh, pull out uh, one particular theme this warning that the Apostle Paul gives to his protege, Timothy, about quarreling. So I want to talk about that for just a few minutes. Um, but first of all, um, you may have seen in your email, you probably did if you're here, that we are um, trying something different this week. It feels like week by week we are still adjusting, still changing. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if... Uh, we're doing everything right or if we're doing the best thing all the time. But I do find something refreshing about the freedom of this season to try new things. And, uh, you know, we're facing some obstacles. It's okay if it doesn't all, you know, play out exactly uh, how we thought it would or it, it's okay if we miss the mark sometimes. Um, we'll just keep adjusting and trying. But I do believe that, I've been saying this for the last few weeks, that God is imparting some things into us in this season that are going to be important for the future. So obviously we're having this 10 o'clock a.m. service. This is our only Sunday morning worship gathering today. But I do have an announcement. Um, St. Titus, uh, Roman Catholic Church over the hill, has opened um, significant space to us in the school so we will be able to hold a worship service there next week at 11.30. So we're excited about that. And um, I think that's going to be significant for us even post the pandemic and all of that. Um, they've just been so hospitable to us. So um, we thank God for that, just the way God has used the leadership there to bless us. But tonight, here at 6, we won't be having a repeat of this service um, we'll be having, uh, having an upper room prayer meeting, which we, in, in normal times, do like once a month. And we're going to be holding one of those prayer gatherings here tonight. Um, and, the, and we're calling it Upper Room Encounter because tonight's really just going to focus, for the most part, on worship, prayer, encountering God's presence. Um, even if just a handful of us come out tonight, that would be really meaningful. We'd love for you to join us. Um, but then on Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to be holding what we call upper room equipping. So for the next month, we're going to be holding these encounter and equipping events. The equipping events are going to be helping to invest in some of you um, to lead prayer and worship environments. If you're a missional community leader or if you feel God stirring something new in you in worship, or if you want to know how to lead better in prayer and worship in your home, then um, we are going to practice doing it together, but there will also be some instruction at these times that hopefully you can take with you into the environments where God has called you. So we would love for you to come out on Tuesday or Wednesday. This Tuesday night will be here at the Crestmont campus, but Wednesday will be at St. Titus School, but not in the space that we'll be meeting in on Sunday. It will be in another room in the school. Um, and this is what we're hoping for the next month, is that these equipping and encounter gatherings 
We'll change locations. So we're hoping to sometimes meet at St. Titus School, sometimes at Premier. Um, I believe we talked about Uncommon Grounds, maybe. Who knows? We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but we're going to end up in these different places. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, Andrina. Um, we're going to end up in these different places in our network. And we feel like God is teaching us to do something. Um, as we head into a season of planting churches, which is going to be this next season for us at the Gospel Tab, um, we want to learn how to gather in really small spaces with relatively few resources and encounter God's presence together. So when you show up at these gatherings, you are helping us learn lessons that we will be able to transfer to church planners someday. Isn't that cool? Um, as we send teams into other communities so um, we hope that you'll come out and kind of be experimental with us, okay? All right, 2 Timothy. I love the books of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus um, because they are written by Paul. Um, 1 and 2 Timothy are written by Paul to his protege, Titus. Um, he met this man, Titus, I'm sorry, Timothy. Timothy was um, uh, significantly younger than Paul, and Paul met him while he was doing ministry, traveling from city to city. And Paul became Timothy's spiritual father. That's how he refers to him. And this is how the family of God works. In the family of God, there are spiritual mothers and fathers, also spiritual big brothers and big sisters. I, I look at my life, and I kind of know who my spiritual mothers and fathers are. Um, they speak into me. They encourage me. They always believe in me, and some of you will know what I mean. They have a certain kind of authority with me, too, uh, to be able to correct me, um, to be able to point out what's wrong. Um, and this is how the family of God works. We have our earthly mothers and fathers, but in the family of God, we also gain spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual big brothers, big sisters. Um, I am this role in the lives of a certain number of people. I'm aware whose spiritual father I am or spiritual big brother I am. And God is calling an increasing number of you into that space as well. So this is how we raise each other up. So Paul loves Timothy like he would love his own son. He's his spiritual father. And Timothy is now released doing ministry after being trained and discipled by Paul. And Paul writes these two letters to Timothy to instruct him on some very practical things. I love these books, being a leader in the church, because they're so practical, filled with good wisdom, for what it looks like to lead in the family of God. And one thing I would say about these books, which really are about Christian leadership, is that Christian leadership is not presented in First and Second Timothy and Titus as the role of an elite group of disciples um, who can lead. Rather, what First and Second Timothy and Titus are encouraging us to do is to fully enter into and walk out our discipleship on a practical level and those are the people that we want leading us, right? The church does not need more people who can talk a talk but not walk a walk, right? Um, it's more, Paul does want Timothy to have correct doctrine, but he's even more concerned about the way that Timothy lives, about his conduct, about his speech, because this is what qualifies Timothy to lead, right? So at this point, Paul is warning Timothy about some false teachers who have entered the church, and he has a warning. Now, there's, like I said, there's tons of stuff I could say about 2 Timothy 2, but I want to just draw a thread through this whole chapter, and the thread has to do with this warning about quarrels, this warning about getting into arguments, particularly with other believers, but even outside of the church, 
getting into these arguments about petty things that don't matter. Um, I think a chapter like this is a word for us in the day in which we live, right? Um, because there are opportunities for quarrels everywhere. There are opportunities to get into arguments about petty things everywhere. Um, so let's begin to read in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my son, see there's the spiritual father language. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. This verse actually came to my mind in prayer a couple weeks ago. I was up late one night praying for the church about something, and this verse came to my mind. Um, Paul is reminding Timothy that he is set apart for a special purpose, like a soldier is set apart for special purpose and no longer concerns himself with civilian affairs. Paul is reminding Timothy that there are some things that are beneath him, there are some things that he should not get entangled with. There are some things that he has been called out of. And this is the truth, even with speech. Do you know, as a follower of Jesus, as a soldier enlisted that is now set apart from the civilian population, in, in this metaphor, um, for spiritual purposes, that there are some conversations that are not even worth your time. Do you hear me? There are some conversations that are not even worth engaging in. There are some spaces of conversation and discourse that are beneath the status that God has given you in Christ, right? We are set aside for something special. Verse 5, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And then I love this verse. Steve and I were talking about this last week. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Paul is like, I'm not going to explain myself. Just think about it for a little bit. It will click with you in time, right? Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Paul is not just giving some rules about conduct and speech to Timothy. He's encouraging him to look at a person who fulfilled the law, Jesus. And he wants... Timothy, to remember Jesus' suffering and resurrection. He wants Paul to remember the love that was displayed in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Verse 9, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect or the chosen, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We've been talking about this last few weeks, but Paul says, the way I make decisions isn't about what's just best for me. It's not just about what I want to do. Um, I'm making decisions for the sake of the family. I'm making decisions for the sake of the relationship around me, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the chosen, the family on mission that I've put into. I'm making decisions from a place of love. We've been saying it for the last few weeks. In these complicated days, you might argue all kinds of different opinions, but the only place we in the family of God can argue from is love. Imagine how that would change our social media posts. Do you post with love in mind? Or is it to get your point across? Is it to do what's best for you? Is it, like, what is it? 
I would love to see more of us, and I've not been perfect at this either. I've really messed up before. But I would love to see more of the people of God engage their social media space with a sense of mission, with a sense of telling about the goodness of God, whatever that looks like. And trust me, I'm not anti-social media. As a matter of fact, even for us right now, we are learning about how God can use this in a movement like ours as we become more dispersed. Um, but it can't just be about our own self-interest. Um, I think it has a tendency to bring out some of our worst selfish and narcissistic tendencies, doesn't it? Um, when we have this whole space dedicated to us and what we think, right? And the temptation is there to make this about us. Paul says, I don't do anything. I don't even choose my words without thinking about how this is going to benefit other people. Um, verse 11, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Paul commands Timothy, and therefore us and the leaders of the church today, to remind you in the presence of God that quarreling about words is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Paul's saying there is a kind of quarreling about petty things. There is a kind of arguing with other people that even if you don't engage in it, even if we only listen to it, it ruins us. Um, I think about this because I think about the tendency I have, like I bet some of you have, to wake up in the morning and the first thing I do before I get out of bed is what? Look at my phone and scroll, right? And I start seeing all of the quarreling. Uh, Paul's going to use this terminology later in this chapter, godless chatter. Um, I start looking at the scripture, it's clear that where words multiply, so does sin, right? And sometimes the first thing I'm doing in the morning, right, is scrolling and looking and scrolling and taking this in. It ruins those who listen, is the warning of scripture. There's a kind of entertaining of conversation that actually causes decay in our souls just by listening to it. Um, I read a book recently talking about kind of the explosion of information and ways of connecting in this digital age in which we live. And there is a lot of good to it. Um, but it was talking about how recent some of this technology is. If I were to ask you, what was the first year that most people had a smartphone, that most of the population had a smartphone, what year would you guess? 2008? Wrong. <laughs> Get this. 2012. 2012 was the first year that most people had a smartphone in their pocket. And do you know that mental health professionals tell us that that very same year, there was a spike in all kinds of mental health disorders. This is new, unparalleled in human history. We have never had this much access to words and information and conversation. And quite frankly, science does not yet understand how it's affecting our brains. I don't mean to put all of this down. Like I said, I post. I posted from the balcony right before this service. So I'm not, so not anti-any of it. And I think at its best, technology aids in human flourishing, right? 
But I'm just saying that there are some things in your feed that just by listening cause decay, that just by listening cause ruin. Paul is saying, warn the people that there are some conversations that ruin just by listening. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge, listen to that language, those who take pleasure in certain kinds of godless speech, and we all know what this feels like. We've all taken pleasure in godless speech. You know that moment when you just say exactly how you're feeling to someone, you know? Often right afterwards, it feels kind of terrible, but in the moment, it feels like pleasure, right? Um, I've often wondered as a pastor, why do people gossip? Why do they do it? Because this is like proven over and over again that if you are part of a group of friends that gossip, that group of friends, that gossip will decay those relationships in those friends. A friend, a friend group that gossips does not trust each other. A friend group that gossips will gossip about each other. Um, this, is as, this is as old as human history. You gossip, that thing is going to come back to bite you and eat you alive. Why do we do it? Because in the moment, it feels like pleasure. To shepherd information, to feel like we know something, to feel like we're better than somebody else, and to say it, to, some, to tear someone down so that we can feel better about ourselves or our group of friends. Even though we know the consequences, in the moment, it feels like pleasure. Paul says, avoid it. And here's why. Because our actions, our character, actually follows the words that comes out of our mouth. This is said in James 2, that the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. Our tongue, it's not, it, sometimes, you know, we just think that what's inside is coming out of our mouth. That's true. But sometimes our tongues are actually leading our character. Sometimes our tongues are actually leading what's going on inside of us. We become more ungodly the more we talk ungodly. We, our character decays the more we talk about things um, that are not like God, right? So avoid godless chatter. And then look at this. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Nasty picture, right, of flesh decaying. Um, it's what James says, that the tongue is like a spark that sets a whole forest on fire, the destructive power of the tongue. He's saying here that in a community of people, godless chatter is actually able to take something that has life and vitality and make it decay, to make it like living death. Um, words have the power not only to destroy us as individuals, but us as a community. And then Paul mentions some false teachers. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. And they destroy the faith of some. Now, he's talking about a particular kind of false teaching. They were teaching something false about the resurrection. And I'm not going to get into the details of that. Um, but I want to be clear. We live in a day and age when there is all kinds of subtle false teaching multiplying. Um, and it's not just the obvious stuff. It's the subtle stuff, too. Let me give you an example. When Christians talk like their political allegiances mean more than the kingdom of God... It is false teaching. 
it misses the fundamental teachings of what the kingdom of God is and is not. So when we engage in that, even with, you know, a religious veneer, we are missing whole portions of what this book teaches about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, not just a citizen of a nation and not just a citizen of a political party or a political ideology, but citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And I would say in the day in which we live, if we can't robustly and prophetically criticize and critique whoever gets elected in this day and age, then we are probably missing something about the kingdom of God. We are called to be that prophetic voice. Vote for you have to vote for. But we are called to be that prophetic voice. If you can't cast that vote and simultaneously be a prophetic voice to that candidate, you are probably missing something in the kingdom of God. Or in these divisive times, I'm seeing stuff circulate on Facebook now. I saw two this weekend. Prophetic words that are so full of empire and political garbage being spread around the church dividing people. Why am I so upset today? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I so angry? <laughs> um, and this stuff is being spread around. It's divisive to the people of God. So in this day and age, false teachings abound even still. And godless chatter, the multiplication of words, is the place where this stuff finds more audience, gets spread even more, becomes gangrene in the people of God. Let's continue to read. Verse 19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work, for any good work. Um, this is the definition of holiness. It's to not be common. Um, there are some things in a house that are common, nothing special. There are other things in your home that are special. And Paul is saying we are the items that are special. We have been set apart for God's special purpose. We have been made holy, and this means that we don't talk common, that we have uncommon ways of talking. In this day and age, I see Christians on the left, I see Christians on the right, and all that's coming out of their mouth is common stuff. All that's coming out of their mouth is the regurgitated lies of empire. Where is the word that is given a special purpose? Where is the word that is holy? Where are the things that come out of our mouth that are so different than what people see anywhere else? So different than what's in their Facebook feed or so different than what's in conversation when they're having conversation with their neighbors that it's clear that we've been set aside for a special purpose. God is refining us in this season. Have you noticed? Um, we were, I was joking with Michael and Brooke. We enter this hard season and... Uh, We've just been preaching sermons on, like, sin for the last, like, few weeks. Not super comforting um, all the time. But here's what I think it is, and you know this, Diane. It's revival. Um, God is refining us in this season for the next thing that's coming. He's changing us. I've been feeling that, and I think you're feeling it as well. He's increasing our capacity to hear these words. Um, 22. 
Flee the desires of youth and pursue the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then look at this, 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. You know where this ends up. Foolish and stupid arguments produce quarrels. Paul is clearly telling Timothy there are conversations you should avoid. There are conversations you should not participate in. Now, in our culture, if, if you spend time on social media, and I realize not everyone does, but if you spend time on social media, you know that there's a meme culture that just writes people off. You know what I mean? So-and-so does X, Y, and Z. They're toxic. I'm dropping them out of my life. I'm never talking to them again. And I see these memes, like, posted everywhere. And on the surface, they sound like wisdom. And don't get me wrong, there is a place for good boundaries. There are conversations that we're not supposed to participate in. Paul clearly says to avoid certain conversations. However, he also tells Timothy, you can avoid certain conversations in certain ways, but you are not allowed to, you ready for this? You are not allowed to write people off just because they're difficult to talk to. You are not allowed to write people off just because they are difficult to talk to. Can I give you an example of this? If you know me, you know I am passionate about racial reconciliation. I am passionate about racial justice. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has been called to this. If it's anyone, it should be us who are leading, right? However, I have friends, and if I can just talk openly, I have friends, particularly white friends, who say hurtful things. Um, who, I don't know if they always mean it or not. Sometimes it's a product of their discipleship. Um, sometimes I think they mean it. Sometimes they don't. They just don't know what to say. But they say hurtful things. I am watching some of my white friends who really care about these issues write off other white friends because of offensive things that they've said. Like, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to engage them. And I think some of the reason they do it is because they want to prove to the Facebook world that they are more woke than them, right? But here's what I'm saying. Part of my responsibility as a white Christian is to stay engaged with those people. And let me be clear, it does not, that responsibility does not belong to my black and brown friends. Um, those conversations aren't always safe for them. I can choose to take this opportunity to write off other people and show Facebook how woke I am, or I can not be embarrassed to associate with people who say things that make me cringe inside for the sake of love and for the sake of my friends, right? Um, I can choose to stay engaged. I can have those conversations, even when it's challenging, when it's difficult. That responsibility belongs to me. Um, it doesn't matter if people look at that and I feel embarrassed about it. That responsibility belongs to me, right? It belongs to me to stay engaged in those conversations. So this is exactly what Paul says to Timothy. He's telling him, you got to stay away from some conversations, but look at this. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone. Even to the person, it is hard, Diane, even to the person who says the offensive thing, even to the person who begins the argument, even to the person who's arguing about something petty, they must have this ability to be kind to everyone. Watch this, to be able to teach, to be able to help them understand, to be able to help bring them along. 
um, to be able to lovingly come alongside of someone and say, you know, that thing that you're expressing is off. Let me hold out to you what the word of God says. And then this one really convicted me, not resentful. Meaning that the Lord's servant must be able to enter even these difficult conversations, not get trapped by the petty quarrel, but enter the conversation, be kind, able to teach, and then be able to leave the conversation with no resentment in their heart towards this person. Be able to leave the conversation with no anger, with no bitterness, with no resentment towards this individual. Look at this. Opponents must be gently instructed. You know how I define gentleness? It's the belief that I don't have to control you. To be able to enter these hard conversations. Quarrels, arguments are really about controlling the other person. All of the shouting matches that happen on social media right now are really about controlling the other person. But we must be gentle. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, meaning that we do not believe this person is hopeless meaning that we believe our conversation could actually soften their heart and draw them closer to the Lord and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Come to their senses. In the Greek, the language there is like come out of drunkenness. Um, Like they're misguided, like they're drunk. And we are the people who in the kindness of our words and the gentleness of our friendship and instruction know how to sober people up to the truth, right? Um, to enter those conversations and those spaces and to sober them up to the truth. Now, here's how I'm going to close. Jake, if you could come play. Are you here? (laughs) I'm so confused. All right. Um, Now, think about this. Isn't this exactly what Jesus did for us? Weren't we the opponents? Weren't we the angry ones? Weren't we like the people looking at Jesus on the cross, hurling insults at him? And even in that moment, Jesus won the world over in his love. There's nothing more gentle than dying on a cross. It's completely giving up control. You're not controlling someone else. You're completely giving up control. There's nothing more gentle than that. Kind to everyone. Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is how Jesus won us over. It's why I wanted, even though we went over and we're going over now, it's why I wanted to lean into that moment of worship. Because this is how God wins us over again and again and again, is his gentleness, is his kindness. He comes in close to what is most ugly about us. Um, I posted something on Facebook this last week, and maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. I make mistakes, too. But I posted something because, do you know, like, when you make a nasty comment on a news article, completely out of character from anything you would ever do or say in church, do you know it gets highlighted in my feed? Do you know? You might want to know that. (laughs) Do you know that? Um, that We've all done things, said things, posted things, and then thought, man, if someone saw that, they would see an ugly side of me. Jesus won you over by coming in close with gentleness to the ugliest parts of you, to the parts of you that you wish your pastor never saw. (laughs) He came in close to love you in that place. 
And I think with that kind of love put in us by the Holy Spirit, we can be the kind of people who offer this in some of the hardest conversations our world, our nation is having right now. Um, I was thinking of a particular story. I'm going to end with this story. I know we've gone long, but we don't have a second service, so we'll just keep going. <laughs> let, me, let me end with this story. And some of you have heard me say this before. At Aliquippa Impact, uh, we had a little kid who would come to our program and this little kid had a male in his life who was violent and abusive. And he had watched this guy hurt people who were important to him in his life. Now, let me say very clearly, before you form some kind of stereotype, um, so many of the kids in our program have parents who love them and protect them and care for them. But our program, like any program in any school district, has kids who come from hard situations. Um, and this kid was coming from that kind of situation. Um, and this violence in his life made it so two things. Number one, he was deathly afraid of male staff members in our program. Um, when we would get close, he would flinch. Um, it was just PTSD. It was just the response that he never knew when he was going to get the snot knocked out of him. Um, it was just the response they had. And secondly, he would lash out in violence. He would lash out in anger, you know, at us too, because he was angry at his situation and didn't know what to do with that. Well, we noticed in our program that he was responding very well to our female staff members. He responded very well to female authority, which we were grateful for. We had some amazing female staff members, but he was deathly afraid of male staff members and would often react like violently to them. And we were like, this isn't healthy. It's not healthy for our program. And it's not healthy for his future because he's going to have to interact with other men. So we got to break through this. So we just came up with a plan and we decided that the next time there was an outburst, that the female staff members would hold back and that Devonte and I would step in. And so this happened. The female staff members, he had an outburst. Female staff members pulled back. Devonte and I jumped in. And he was so angry, so scared. Um, you know, I think he hit both of us, you know, at different times. During that. We've been hit by very few kids all these years. Um, but he hit both of us at different times. And we kind of got him into a room. It was an activity room we had. And we don't restrain kids or really put our hands on kids in situations like that in our program. It's just not how we do things. And so he's in this activity room, and he's just freaking out. And he's pulling over bookshelves, and crayons are flying everywhere. He's freaking out. Just all worked up, you know? And I knew this wasn't going to be able to last forever, you know, because he's a little guy. And I was like, eventually he's going to, you know, get tired. And sure enough, for a minute, you could just see him take a deep breath, and I just came in and hugged him. Um, and he just started to cry on me, you know, just started to weep on me, you know. And Devontae and I were able to love him in that moment. There's so much power in gentleness, friends. In that moment, just by demonstrating to him that we were not going to beat the snot out of him, that there's some men who aren't safe, but there's some who are. There's some who won't hurt you, even, even when you're close to them. Just by demonstrating that to him, it changed everything about the way he interacted with our program. That was our breakthrough moment with him. There were still battles to win, but he was different in our program after that. Here's why I'm telling you that story. Right now, I see our world like he was in that room throwing that fit. Just like, I'm going to post this and pull the bookshelf down. And 
I'm going to yell at you about this and throw that laptop. And, you know, just like throwing around everything in the activity room. And I think we have a choice. We can enter into it, get trapped in it. And some, by the way, there are some adults who would have gotten trapped in that, right? Um, who would have thought the way you deal with this is by controlling more, right? Um, so we can go in and we can enter into the fight, get into the godless chatter, get into the quarrels, get into the arguments. Or we could remember that that's not what Jesus did with us when we were throwing our own fit and sin. Oh, yeah, oftentimes he let us throw the fit. Oftentimes he let us experience the consequence. Um, but when we were tired, come on, when we were tired and worn out enough to just like stop and take a deep breath for a second, he came in, hugged us, won us over in his love. What if we knew how to do that in conversation? What if we knew how to do that in relationships? What if for all the anger, I just feel the love of God right now. What if for all the anger that's in our society, all, the, all of the turmoil, what if God raised up a people who knew how to listen and be gentle enough so that when the moment came, we could show love? What if that happened? Um, see, I think all around us, don't let, like, don't let all of the turmoil intimidate you. I think all around us are actually opportunities for the love of God to break in, if we can see it. All around us are opportunities to come in and show love if God gives us the opportunity. Amen.